welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God. Uh, I'm trying to figure out what kind of a topic we should talk about today. I don't know uh, if you're in the chat room. uh, You can probably put in something, and I'll uh, get it during the break, and uh, we'll talk about that. But uh, uh, there's a number of... uh, uh, websites that we have up, we actually have quite a few websites up uh, that talk about a great deal of information about the history of uh, the Bible, the history of law, the history of uh, of our country, of, uh, of the Constitution, of, of the world in general. Because history has a tendency to repeat itself, everybody wants to study prophecy, you want to study prophecy, you study the past. Because whatever you did before, you're going to do it again if you don't change. You cannot change the future, generally speaking, because you're one person of, what, 7 billion people in in the world today. But uh, 5% of the people can alter the course of history. Most people will still continue down the same path that they already are on. But you can change your relationship to history by living in the present according to a different way. And, of course, that's what Christ was preaching is a different way. That's actually what Christianity was first called was the way. And they're talking about the way that Moses was setting people on because Moses said, love thy neighbor as thyself. His eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth were ceiling limits. He wasn't saying you had to take an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. He was saying that you can't take more than an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. In other words, if somebody's damaged you by uh, destroying something that's worth 10,000 denarii, uh, you can't take 100,000 denarii. You can only take the 10 (laughs) denarii or the 10,000 denarii, or whatever it was that they destroyed. Uh, It was a very merciful type of government. You were to give drink to your enemy. You weren't to oppress the stranger in your midst. And those of you who have been studying our writings, even stoning people really had nothing to do with hitting them in the head with rocks. Uh, Even the altars of stone were actually gathering of men. There's no way on earth, by any stretch of the imagination, all kinds of tribes got together and helped Abraham against the invading armies of the Valley of Sodom and Gomorrah that were taking one city-state after another, that they all just dropped what they were doing and run over to help Abraham risk their lives charging after a a well-armed enemy with swords and sharp things (laughs) because they all killed sheep together because they set up altars and set sheep on fire together. You can imagine that that's what people was exciting people and, oh, yeah, let's let's go risk our lives for Abraham because he taught us how to pile up stones and burn up sheep. That is not what the altars were all about. The Essenes at the time of Jesus Christ knew that was not what the altars were all about. and They would have nothing to do with the animal sacrifice taking place 
in the temple of Jerusalem. They would have nothing to do with it. Yet, the Essenes were considered the most philanthropic, loved group, even respected by the Romans. The, the Romans believed that the word of an Essene was better than a Pharisee under oath. Because <laughs> these guys did not lie. Because they didn't bear false witness. They told the truth. They helped one another. They blessed their enemy. You know, they loved their enemy. They turned the other cheek. The, these were the guys that were compatible with what John the Baptist was preaching, which he said that if you have a need in your society, if you have people in need in your society, you help them out with charity. You don't help them out by forcing everybody to contribute at the point of a gun or spear or sword. If you live by the sword, you don't realize it, that everybody who applies to men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority, in other words, force the contributions of the people, those people are living by the sword. I wouldn't own a gun, but I will send my kids to public school. I will send my parents to Social Security if they need help. But I wouldn't even own a gun because I'm a pacifist. You're not a pacifist. If you ask men who exercise authority to force your neighbor to contribute to provide the needs for society. Do you get that? I mean, that's simple. You're not a pacifist. If you apply for benefits provided by men with guns. <laughs> that's that that's that simple. If you think you if you won't arm yourself to protect your neighbor, if you will not go out on the limb, maybe maybe you shouldn't arm yourself to protect your neighbor because you don't know how to handle a gun. But if you knew how to handle a gun, or maybe you want to use a baseball bat, I don't know. But you have to care about your neighbor enough to risk your own life to protect his and the lives of his children. By creating a society that is absolutely, totally dependent upon the welfare of men who exercise authority, you're anti-Christ. You're anti-John the Baptist. You're anti-Moses. You're not a Jew, you know, if we're going to define Jew as a follower of Moses. You're not even a Muslim, if you're going to define a Muslim, as a follower of Abraham. Muslims claim Abraham as their father, but their father, Abraham, would have nothing to do with forced contributions, free will offerings on altars of living stone is what he taught. And he taught it to the people round about him, and they said, this works. And when Abraham's nephew was in trouble, captured by this army, that defeated Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham and his few hundred men, and all these other men who were using the same system of charity, organized in what we would call today the tens, hundreds, and thousands, were willing to send militia to back up Abraham. And with that force, they were able to destroy that defeat that enemy overnight. 
and set those people free. Overnight, they were just able to gather up this whole army overnight and go and set those people free. And then when the king of Sodom and Gomorrah or Sodom came out and said, uh, give us, you can keep all the stuff that you saved that these guys were carrying off, all the booty, the spoils, but give us the people. And Abraham said, I wouldn't touch a single buckle, you know, not even a shoelace of, of the spoils. I won't take it for myself. Because he he didn't come there to take a spoil. He came there to set a people free. So Abraham remained free. Not only remained free, but was given the blessing of dominion upon this earth by Melchizedek. And Jesus was a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. So what does that mean? Melchizedek, king of Salem. Who was he? he? Evidently, Abraham had been tithing to him. That's what the text says. So somehow or other, Abraham was taking a tenth of whatever he produced and tithing to this Melchizedek, king of Salem. Well, Melchizedek simply means righteous king. So it's kind of redundant to say Melchizedek king. But it says the righteous king of Salem. Peace. That's the word for peace. Well, Jesus was the righteous king of peace. And what did Jesus tell us to do? Love one another. What did John Baptist said to, say to do? Love one another through charity. Take care of, actually turn your love for one another into actual personal sacrifice to help out one another. Now, of course, there's only so much you can sacrifice, and there's all kinds of people who need help. So you get to decide who you want to help and who you don't want to help. You know, does help mean giving people money? No. Help doesn't mean necessarily giving people money. It might not. It might mean don't give them money. Because to give them money might make them slothful. It might make them lazy. It might allow them to continue in a foolish pursuit. You know, maybe they're an alcoholic and you give them a hundred bucks or a thousand bucks and they go and drink themselves to death. Or maybe they're a drug addict. They, they, they sit around smoking dope all the time instead of working and taking care of their family, taking care of themselves. Well, you shouldn't give them money for dope. <laughs> you should give them, and you can't give them money for other things so that they have more money left over to spend on dope. They need to apply themselves in seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And when you see people applying themselves to that, which looks like a lot of things like taking care of your children, uh, taking care of yourself, taking care of your your own house, putting your own house in order. That that would be part of seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It can't be the only thing. You have to also care about your neighbor's house. So you have to spend some of your time taking care of your neighbor's house. 
And you have to be selective about whose house you work on. Because you can't work on all of them. So you look around. I mean, is this neighbor a really good guy? Is he is he self-sacrificing? Is he charitable? Is he uh, uh, just? Is he merciful? Or is he angry? Is he resentful? Is he exclusionary? Is he selfish? Is he avaristic? You know, so we look for things that we call kingdom tracks in people. Now, everybody who homeschools their kids is not necessarily a good person. And everybody who sends their kids to public school is not necessarily a bad person. They just don't understand how bad it is to send your kids to public school yet. And and maybe God hasn't shown them that yet because he has something for them to do there at the public school. I always remember, I always chuckle when I think of the story. Uh, I had six kids, and we were they were all home taught. And uh, but I did work for the local school, you know, carpenter work for them occasionally. And one time, the principal of the school and the uh, uh, head of maintenance of the school wanted me to go do some repair work on one of their buildings, and uh, they drove me over in the school pickup. Instead of me following over, they said, come on, come in, the, the, we'll just take you over in the pickup. <laughs> that, that was just really unusual because I got my tape measures and everything in, in my truck. But, so I, I put a tape in my pocket and went, went with them, and they had me. And we pulled up in front of this building, parked in the driveway, and they didn't do anything. They didn't get out. I'm in the middle. <laughs> That's where they... That's where the real cowboy sits anyway. He sits in the middle. <laughs> you know why that is. But anyway, I won't tell you. Uh, and they didn't get out, and they didn't say anything, and I'm kind of, my head's kind of going back and forth, wondering what what's up, you know. <laughs> if I've been kidnapped, what's the deal? And finally they said, uh, the principal asked, what would it take to get you to send your kids to public school? And, uh, or our school. And, uh, and I thought for a second, like, what is this all about? <laughs> and then, you know, uh, my first answer rolled through my mind saying, uh, 357 Magnum. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I chuckled that that's my humor passing. This is all in a flash of an eye this passed in front of my mind. And I chuckled at that because, nah, I wouldn't even do it. But uh, then I responded, and I, I, I said to them both, I said, you don't really want my kids down here at the school. <laughs> and then I gave them a long pause. And, uh, and I said, because if you had my kids down here, you'd have me down here all the time. <laughs> because I'd be coming in and complaining about the text in the school books. I'd be complaining about the activities in the school. I would be, you know, I'd be at every teacher's parent conference. <laughs> and I would be outspoken, to say the least. But the fact is, I couldn't send my kids to public school because I was a Christian. 
I was someone who was following Christ and knew what that meant. Knew that I was not to depend upon benefactors to exercise authority. And their salaries were paid by benefactors who exercised authority one over the other. That, that The relationship with public education is a covetous relationship. And I couldn't be a part of that because I, I was an awakened Christian. I wasn't slumbering. I wasn't a slothful, slumbering Christian. I had gone to the ant, you know, if anybody knows what I'm talking about, uh, you Bible readers. What, what do I mean, gone to the ant? I mean, how many times is an ant mentioned in the Bible? Do you know? <laughs> That's a good question. How many times is an ant mentioned in the Bible? Actually, I can't tell you yet. Uh, I think it's only once, but uh, let's see. We'll take a look. Uh, oops. Let's see if I can find that here. Once, exactly. I thought so. Uh, and it says, go to the ants. And this is in Proverbs 6 6. So, what do they mean, go to the ant? Why, why would they say, go to the ant? Now, what are they talking about? Well, let's go up to Proverbs 6 1. My son, if thou be a surety for thy friend, if thou hast stricken thy hand with a stranger, thou art snared with the word of thy mouth. Thou art taken with the words of thy mouth. Okay. He's asking you if you're snared. He's telling you that if you have stricken hands with a stranger, to be a surety, what's a surety? Uh, you know, someone who is kind of uh, promising to to pay back, pay, pay a debt, uh, to be responsible for a debt. If you live in a society that forces the contributions of the people in order to provide you with benefits, and you are signed up for those benefits, you haven't even taken any, just signed up with the intention of being a receiver of those benefits. What you've done is you've gone to a public altar of sacrifice and said, I want to be a part of this altar. I want to work in your system. I want to work in Rome. And you can take a portion of my labor if I can get the number that allows me to work here in Rome. And I will pay you a portion of my labor. But I need to work somewhere to get the food and, and, and the shelter that I need to, to stay alive. And maybe to keep my family alive uh, and maybe my parents alive and, and my brothers and sisters alive. And a very noble intention. And the only way you can do this is work for Rome. And so you go to work for Rome. And you get... A number, an identifier that identifies you as a registered member of Rome. Now, originally, uh, that didn't require fealty in Rome because Rome was a republic. But Rome moved from being a republic to an indirect democracy and then to an imperial power. 
So over a period of time, Rome changed. And the relationship of people changed to the Roman government. And they had to pay in to the system if they wanted to work in the system. They had to get an employer employee identification number because they were employed by other employees of the Roman Empire, other members of the Roman Empire. It became an exclusive club. I'm sure there were illegal immigrants coming into Rome and working under the table and you know and hiding here and occasionally they they evicted those people. They they rounded uh, the people up and uh, sent them out and troublemakers. Occasionally they rounded up they rounded up the Christians. They called them Jews then, but they would not. They considered the Christians to be atheists. Did you know that? That's one of the charges that was leveled against early Christians is that they were atheists because they didn't believe in the gods of the Roman society. Now, you think it's because they had a different religion because you think religion is about what you think about a supreme being. They didn't care what you think about a supreme being. Religious freedom was guaranteed in the Roman Constitution. As far as religion is concerned, they had two different words for religion. One is superstitio. That's what you think about a supreme being, you know, the spiritual world and... and uh, uh, you know, where you go after you die and all that kind of stuff. They, they referred to that as superstitio because it had to do with spiritual things that you couldn't prove. You know, you could only, you know, see it spiritually. But religiere, which we translate into religion also, uh, that had to do with how you provided for your fellow man to fulfill your obligation to the gods of the world, which were the judges and ruling judges and lawmakers of the world. These are the gods of the world, the gods many that Paul talks about. Now, if you don't know that in history, and that's easily corroborated uh in, in, by just a study of the Bible, look in the concordance. The same word for God in both Old and New Testament was used also to address judges and magistrates. Because they were ruler, ruling judges deciding what is good and evil in courts of law. And so they were called gods. Theos in the Greek, Elohim in the Hebrew. That That's in your concordance. And without even looking at other historical books, which are many. These were the gods you were not to make covenants with, strike hands with, make agreements with. But you did. Now you have God's very Anyway, we'll talk more about what you can't do. Come back. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, I didn't I didn't make it into the chat room. <laughs> if anybody had any other topics, then we'll 
we'll just continue with this one. And besides, I told you I'd talk to you more about what the ant did. So we people call themselves Christians today all the time. They're not like the early Christians. They're not doing what the early Christians did, and they're not doing it because they they don't believe what the early Christians believed. And the early Christians believed what they believed because they actually heard the message of Christ to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And they heard about it from men he appointed the kingdom to. You see, he actually took the kingdom away from Israel. Uh, Israel, most of Israel had left the kingdom already. They had gone out away from this generation to generation kingdom that was set up by Moses and really a continuation of what had been by Abraham but because they what Abraham had set up they lost because they went into bondage in Egypt they went into bondage of Egypt because they didn't have their own provisions and they needed to go to Egypt in order to survive and so they made a deal with Egypt that yeah if we can eat your free bread uh we will serve you and Joseph made a deal where they could only had to pay one-fifth income tax every year, 20%, to the government, and the government would guarantee them. But they were a surety for the debt of the government that the government borrowed against the future. And, of course, if you understand, the king at that particular time was borrowing all kinds of money in order to wage war and spread his kingdoms all the way far beyond Canaan. But anyway, Moses comes along, and Moses was the rightful heir to this seat, to this kingship. The guy who was in place at that time was not the rightful heir. One of the reasons that Moses left was he was becoming a ruler who exercised authority. He didn't like what he was becoming. And he went out away from that, and God sent him back. Now, I know that sounds a little bit different than what you're used to hearing, and I could go through and show you in the text that that's actually what the problem was. But you just have to take it on faith right now because I'm not going to go on that sidetrack. But Moses came back and said, let my people go. He didn't want the stuff. Who else was like that? Wasn't that what Abraham said? I don't want the stuff. I'm not giving you the people. I have a right to the people by international law because I just defeated the people who had stole the people when they were in your charge. So now they belong to me, but he didn't want to rule over them. He was teaching everybody how to live as a free people with these altars of living stone, taking care of one another. Why was he doing this? It tells you in Isaiah 58. Go read Isaiah 58. Go read it at preparingyou.com. Because we have footnotes there. We have links there that take you to other articles that show you what that means in Isaiah 58, you know, verses 6 and 7. We're trying to show you the way. Again, Christianity was called the way. You have to change your thinking to go another way. You have to stop thinking that the government owes you a living. The government's not going to give you a living. It's going to take the life from somebody else and give you a portion of that after it takes what it wants. Because that's your religion. That's how you take care of one another. 
That's what religion used to mean. Just 200 years ago in Bovier's, religion was the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. And your fellow man. Your duty to him was to love him, to care for him, to provide for him if he could not provide for himself. You don't want to make him weak again. You want him to be strong. Maybe providing for him is to teach him how to fish. But if both arms are broken and both legs are broken you know, or whatever, you may have to give them a fish for a while until we get those bones healed. Once you get those healed, then he can do his own fishing because you want to teach him to be independent because that's good for him. That's loving him. Teaching him to be dependent is making him subject to your will. The king of Sodom wanted to make those people subject to his will. I'm sure he gave great campaign speeches and got the people to really like him, but he weakened the people. Abraham wanted to strengthen the people. So the, all the people that he had saved, they had a choice now. They could go back to Sodom, and I'm sure they'd be accepted with open arms by the king of Sodom, and I'm sure many of them did. Evidently, Lot went back. And... Many, I'm sure, went back. But some said, you know, the king of Siam wasn't there for me when I needed him. His FEMA didn't work. <laughs> but Abraham and his FEMA did work. But Abraham's FEMA was a faith emergency ministry auxiliary based on faith open charity and free will offerings on altars of living stone. And he did this in communion with many other tribes who set up the same type of welfare system that was based on free will offerings. What that, how that works is that you give to a minister who's responsible for the welfare of the tents of their community. That what we call in the Old Testament the tabernacle of the congregation, the tabernacles, plural, of the congregation, which is the tents of the congregation. That's what the Levites are supposed to do is take care of their needs. If some of them fell in hard times, difficulty, disease, injury, you know, whatever, death, uh, widows and orphans were taken care of. Why well, always widows and orphans? Somebody once asked me, what has the widows and orphans ever done for me? He's a wealthy guy. Well, <laughs> you know, I mean, I was just stunned at the question. I mean, I was literally speechless. Hard to get me to that point, but that guy with that state got me to that point. <laughs> you know, you cast your bread upon the waters, not because of whatever the waters have done for you, <laughs> but in hopes that it may come back and help you someday. Because today's widow and orphan may be tomorrow's millionaire. Who knows? And uh, they may help you out when you get out of jail. <laughs> Which is where that guy ended up. Shortly after he said that, he ended up in jail. <laughs> and I don't, I don't want to make fun of the fact that he ended up in jail. I, I'm, I'm, I warned him the first time I ever met him not to do some of the things he was doing because it was likely end him up in jail. And uh, he did not take heed to that warning either. 
But he had to go that way. And, and when he comes out, I hope, you know, that he will start seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which means that you have to love your neighbor, including the widows and orphans. The people that are doing well, the widows and orphans are people whose family has broken down, either the death or some reason or other has broken down, and they they may need help more likely than somebody else. They may not be widows and orphans. Maybe the husband is, is they're not a widow indeed, but they their husband has been injured or he's gotten sick or something, and he can't make a living for the family, and the wife has small children, and you have to take care of her. What are you going to do about that? All you anarcho-capitalists out there who just want to be free and make their own money, fine, go out there and do that. But if you don't care about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself, don't expect your neighbor to care about you when you need help. This is how free societies bind themselves together. Not with contracts. If you do it with contracts and and striking hands, that's what contracts is, striking hands, making agreements, and becoming a surety for each other's debt. Let's all have one purse. We have whole articles that are written up so you can understand what they're talking about in the Bible. They mention the word religion five times in the Bible. They mention government 700 times in the Bible. The Bible is a book about government. In fact, in fact, according to Wycliffe, the Bible is the book for the government of the people, for the people, and by the people, which explains why Pope Martin had his body dug up and his bones burned at the stake. <laughs> I always thought, if you're going to get burned at the stake, that's the way to do it. <laughs> After you die of natural causes, they dig your body up and burn it at the stake, and spread your ashes wherever. I <laughs> so, uh, much prefer that. But that's what they did to Wycliffe. Why? Because his words and his translation and his ideas were beginning to overturn the binding of people's mind in religious mumbo-jumbo. People always are talking about the church did this and the church did that. No, a church did this, a church did that. His church, his holy church, wherever it is, Christ's holy church, separate. That's what that means. It didn't do though. It didn't have an inquisition. It didn't kill 60 million people that disagreed with its beliefs. A church did that, but it wasn't his church. His church was loving one another. His church was doing what he said. His church was not going to benefactors who exercise authority. They were seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And back to what I was saying, those kingdom tracks. Yes, everybody who sends their kids to public school are seeking the benefits of benefactors who exercise authority. And Christ said not to do that. It was not to be that way with you. And so they are in error. By doing so. But maybe God has not shown them that yet because God wants them to do something where they're at. To serve somehow where they're at. I don't know. I can't dictate to you patterns that you have to follow. I can tell you what I see is the principles of God. 
Let's look at the rest of that person's life. What are the other fruits that are growing? You don't cut down the whole tree because one branch is not bearing fruit. You may eventually trim that branch off, <laughs> but for now, you don't cut down the tree. You look and see what other fruit is it bearing. And maybe it's bearing fruit in other areas that are very important. But these are kingdom tracks, homeschooling, home health, in business for yourself, seeking to be in business for yourself. Maybe you got a regular job somewhere, but you're also trying to cultivate an independent business. How how your daily charity, you know, uh, anger. I was angry the other day. <laughs> I was angry at sheep. <laughs> they were doing bad things and going places they were not supposed to go, and they ended up breaking one of their own legs. And and uh, uh, you know, I, and I I yelled at the dog even uh, because the dog was not doing what was right. But you know. The dog, he's getting smarter and smarter and smarter because <laughs> I'm consistent and uh, and I'm firm with him and because he, he's he's such a passionate border collie, you know how they are. Uh, I had to scold him, get his attention, get him on the straight now. And he's out with me the other day, and I can actually whisper to him at times now. <laughs> And uh, I say, down. He goes down. <laughs> we were stalking a coyote at the time, so I didn't want him giving our position away. But uh, the uh, the point is, is let's go back to that ant. You know, uh, we're supposed to remember the ant, according to this Proverbs 6. What, why why are we supposed to be doing that? What what are what is he talking about in Proverbs six that we are to remember the ant? My son, if you're a surety for thy friend, and we'll have to question the word friend there sometime. If thou have stricken the hands with a stranger, ah, somebody you don't know, somebody who's different than you, somebody who has different values than you, thou art snared. With the words of thy mouth. That are taken with the words of thy mouth. You say it, you have to do it. Peter said, yeah, my master pays the tax. His master, of course, took him aside and said, Matt, what are you saying, Peter? And and he corrected Peter. Peter said, wrong. But he said, you said it. Out of your mouth you have said it. So lest we give offense, go down and, you know, get this fish out of the, you know, out of the water and, uh, that's on the beach there and take a coin out of his mouth, look in his mouth. And he found two coins and he brought them back. And he went to give them to Jesus. Jesus wouldn't take them. He says, you give it. Why? Because he said it. So what he was doing is the same thing he was saying when he says, be friends with the unrighteous mammon. The same thing that Moses said when he said, pay your tally of bricks. But he also was telling them not to be like the benefactors who exercise authority. Don't say your prayers to the fathers of the earth. And in the next show, we're going to get into exactly what that means in relationship to the militia. 
so that that that's a, a that's a teaser so that you you stay tuned for the next show but people were actually snared people you know people are running around thinking well i have inalienable rights and you don't have any right to tell me what to do and all this kind of stuff well where the heck did you get your inalienable rights i had them when i was born well then you i guess you got them from your father right well was your father a freeman when you were born or was he in bondage I never made any agreements with them. They see they changed the subject. <laughs> you don't have to make an agreement. All the people that were in bondage in Egypt when Moses came along were in bondage because of the agreement their fathers had made four hundred years earlier. Their father you inherit the kingdom of God is from generation to generation. Slavery is from generation to generation, too. Corvy systems of statutory bondage are from generation to generation. And again, if you want to break the bands of the yoke that bind you, go to Isaiah 58. If you want to understand Isaiah 58, go to Preparing You and look up Bible and look up Isaiah 58. <laughs> and we'll explain it to you for free. Seeking you shall find. But he says, Thou art snared. He, you are snared. You're in bondage. Your parents were in bondage before you. Your grandparents were in bondage before them. I, maybe. I don't know. I don't know how old you are. Uh, my grandfather was not in bondage until 1960. Because <laughs> he was a medical doctor. <laughs> medical doctors had an exemption. Did you know that they had an exemption until 1960? But then they got a benefit. And we call it Medicare or Medicaid. You know, when that came into being, doctors, uh, PhDs lost their exemption. Not uh, most of all of them didn't take advantage of that exemption, but they could have. And but they too went into bondage. And uh, most everybody now is in bondage. And the only ones who can get out in bondage have to go into bondage to somebody else. And so some people are trying expatriation. Some want to expatriate while still being in the country, and they expatriate from the United States, where they're they are federal citizens, and only residents of their local states, and they want to expatriate from the United States and go back to their local states. Except those states don't really exist except on paper. They don't, they're not there. And it's, it's, you know, I understand the theory, but, you know, the theory of a parachute will not save you when you jump out of a plane. You have to have a real parachute. <laughs> you can't just have a theory of a parachute. You gotta have a real parachute. So it's not practical to expatriate back to the states, the original state republics. And it may be where you wanna go eventually, but you're not ready. You gotta sew the parachute first. You gotta get the cords and weave them and put them together. Don't go jumping out of the plane with the theory of a parachute. And this of course is what same thing that Moses was saying. <laughs> 
He said, let my people go. And and God hardened the heart of the Pharaoh. Why? Because the people were not ready to go. They hadn't made the parachute. They didn't have the alternative in place. And so he said, continue to pay your tally of bricks. But now, now, glean in the field at night for your straw, for your benefits. These are metaphors. Stop taking the benefit. Wean yourself off the benefits of the world. Start learning to home educate your children. Don't depend on public school. Learn how to take care of your parents. Learn how to take care of your health. You know, I have come across over the years so many remedies for major diseases that are normally treated with hundreds of thousands of dollars of treatment or tens of thousands of dollars of treatment in some cases. And you can cure the same problem. You can find relief for the same problem with home remedies. Absolutely. I mean, I've seen it time and time again. And I've also seen miraculous healings in in seconds. People are healed in seconds of life-threatening diseases. But you probably don't believe that. And you don't have to. I'm just saying there's another way. If you want to seek it, let's go. If you don't want to seek it, have a nice day. We're going to follow the Lord. We're going to follow the ways of the Lord. The ways of the Lord are not covetous ways. They are charitable ways. They are charitable practices. And that's what Isaiah 58 is telling you. If you don't care about others, God's not even going to hear you. Go look at our articles on Cry Out and and, in hearing the Lord. And the Lord hearing you. Because he says, I'm not going to hear you. If you go this way, you've gone that way. He's not going to hear you. Now, he may reach out and hear you if you begin to change. Just like the prodigal son coming home. His father ran out to meet him. He hadn't got home yet. He hadn't done any work yet. He had put his desire to come back and serve into action. He did start coming back. But before he actually got back and did any work, his father ran out to meet him. So if God has run out to meet you, say you are a drug addict and a thief and a criminal and a womanizer, all these terrible things, and you suddenly repent a little bit, and God runs out and meets you and you have a religious experience. Are you done? No, you're not done. There's another level. you got to actually go back to your father's house, and you have to be like a servant. He will treat you like a son, but you have to be like a servant. Servants get up early and get to work. They make good use of their time. They are of real service to people, and again... That service has to be in love, and as many as I love, I also rebuke. So he's going to tell people, no, what you are doing is wrong. What you are doing is not the way. He's going to do that, and he's going to do it with courage because he's not there to get their appreciation. So anyway, next verse. We've been waiting for this. My son, if thou be a surety, we got that. 
The next verse, second verse, thou art snared. Third verse, do this now. My son, and deliver thyself when thou art come into the hand of thy friend. In other words, you're now a possession. You're a human resource. That's what you have become, a human resource. Go humble thyself and make sure thy friend. That doesn't mean to cheat him. Give not sleep to thine eyes, nor slumber to thy eyelids. Deliver thyself as a robe. We'll show you how to do that next the Keys of the Kingdom. have been listening to the keys of the kingdom with brother gregory of his holy church for more information on the educational ministry provided by his holy church and brother gregory including services counseling lectures books and other audio materials please write to his church at summer lake box 10 summer lake oregon 97640 You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Gregory, and we're talking about the kingdom of God, and we're in uh, Proverbs 6, and we're talking about ants and rows and hunters, and we're talking about, which are all metaphors, <laughs> we're not really talking about uh, ants and uh, deers and, and people who hunt them, although it is hunting season here in Summer Lake, I think it's a duck hunting season. In Summer Lake, I heard shooting this morning, but I think it's the youth hunt. Uh, but uh, that's not what we're talking about when we say hunters. Who's the mighty hunter instead of the Lord? Uh, that's Nimrod. That's Babylon. Mystery Babylon. So we're going to give you a mystery today. We're going to give you the answer to a mystery. Uh, Babylon was Babylon, but Mystery Babylon. What is Mystery Babylon? Well, it's only a mystery to people who aren't looking spiritually at the world. Now, if you look spiritually at the world, you know what is really going on. Then how do you communicate it to everybody else? Because everybody else already have a vision of the world. They already have an impression of what they think reality is. And you got to go and tell them it's not true. You're wrong. People don't like that. They don't want to be told they're wrong. They want to be told they're right. They want to be told they're saved. They want to be told that, yeah, you got it, man. You're right on. They don't want to be rebuked. Because most people are fools. 
I want you to tell me if I'm wrong. I want you to tell me why I'm wrong. I mean, I got all kinds of people who say that I'm wacky. Uh, you know, want to call me grandpa. Well, I got a lot of people who want to call me grandpa, but I am their grandpa. But, <laughs> but uh, the ones who are calling me grandpa, <laughs> who I have no relationship to, uh, they're just living in their own imaginations. And want to say you're wacky. That's the argument. You you give them, you know, uh, a, a thousand word explanation with references and everything else, and they say, well, you're wacky. Well, you can't beat that argument. <laughs> uh, such intellectual prowess is beyond my ability to defeat. I cannot overcome that. <laughs> That's it. That's it. You're wacky. Uh, and and usually it's because I've said something, oh, unbelievable. I have actually disagreed with somebody. Oh, you can't disagree with me without me starting to pull out ad homonyms and calling you names. That's what uh, people's policy is in arguing. They have to start calling people names and start pulling out expletives and stuff like that. They can't have a rational conversation about things. Because they're not thinking rationally. They're thinking emotionally. They they kind of sense that they were born into bondage and that they're considered a surety for debt and that archists all over the world, rulers all over the world, want to control everything they do and they hate that. They're angry at that. And they become archists. They, they become rulers. And they try to intimidate people with language instead of discuss things with reason. You people are free to disagree with me. But you know, if you want to argue a point, bring some facts, please. And and somebody recently in, in a discussion on the militia brought some facts, but actually really what they bought is some brought is somebody's opinion of facts. They didn't actually bring the facts themselves. Now, we quoted statutes, you know, as to what the militia consists of. And, uh, but they didn't really listen. Uh, you know, the, the first thing they did is start poo-pooing statutes, like statutes don't mean anything because they come from the government. The government doesn't exist. Well, uh, the government does exist. Agreements exist. You know, that's one of the... The most common Latin phrase, maxim of law, that I find throughout things written by the United Nations concerning policies is pacta servanda sunt. Agreements must be kept. That is one of the basic foundational maxims of international uh, the law of nations is agreements must be kept. Now, you have to realize that uh, campaign speeches are not agreements. <laughs> That's rhetoric. So the idea that what somebody says they're going to do uh, when they're campaigning doesn't mean it's going to happen because that's not an agreement. Uh, it's kind of you know, like they say, how can you tell a politician is lying? Uh, his lips are moving. 
<laughs> That's one way to tell. So anyway, let's let's go back to Proverbs. That's talking about a surety for debt. Uh, a surety. That's what a surety is. Somebody who has promised to pay a debt or promised to be responsible for something. And, of course, in a trust, a beneficiary is surety. Uh, it depends on the nature of the trust, but that's a pretty basic reality. That that they're you know that they're a surety because they're a beneficiary. Now they may not have to pay all the debts of uh, an inheriting trust, but they could be responsible for them. And uh, a lot of times it ends up that they end up with nothing. I thought they inherited something, but the debt's got to be paid first before they get anything. So they end up with nothing. You know, it's like the the guy that has a silver dime in his pocket is richer than most of the people in the United States. Because most of the people in the United States are in debt. They're, they're either in private debt, certainly uh, uh, almost everybody is in some private debt, but they're in private debt. If you just look at legal t- titles and assume that there's a value with the legal title, just on that playing field alone, and this is one of the problems with people you're trying to reason with, is they don't see the levels of the law. Uh, they don't see the levels of reality. Within a legal system, you can actually be operating in the black. I mean, that means you have a surplus. You look at the debt of the individual and say he owes $100,000 on his house still. He owes $5,000 on his car still. He has, you know, $4,000 worth of credit card debt. Okay, so his total amount of debt is $109,000. But his assets may value $200,000. And he maybe has, you know, $50,000 in the bank. Although if he did, he should pay off that credit card debt. <laughs> but anyway, that's another story. But uh, uh, the point is, is that in the legal system, he's operating in the black. But then if you if you take in another level of the law, not just the legal system that he's in, say he lives in Australia or the United States or someplace like that, but in the whole international law. The United States is in debt by trillions of dollars. You know, years ago, the average baby was born $54,000 in debt in the United States. Well, we all know that that debt ceiling is skyrocketing, and that baby is a surety for debt. So I, I, I actually don't know what the figure is now, but it could be easily $150,000 in debt, a baby born $150,000 in debt. We'll say that baby had $100,000 in theoretical assets of U.S. notes because those are theoretical assets within the legal system. And the reality is they have no value. He has $100,000 in the bank. He has nothing in the bank. In in the banking institution, he has $100,000 in value. In the system of law, since... The Federal Reserve says Federal Reserve notes have no value. He has zero value. 
but he can have real debt beyond that. International law, there's real debt. Your land is surety for debt in the United States, in Australia, and a lot of other countries. Your your uh, uh, children are surety for debt. Your lives, your labor, is surety for debt. And that debt is growing, you know, if you were to see it on some sort of, you know, I'm, I'm sure there are web pages you can look up that will show you the increase in the U.S. debt. <laughs> and they got a little, like, a, a slot machine uh, print out there where you see the numbers just zooming up all the time. And it's completely out of control. And eventually, it's there's going to be a crash because of that. I mean, it just you can hope that it goes on forever, but it's not. It's not going to go on forever. The unrighteous mammon will fail. So what you should be doing is what the ant says and what the Bible tells you in Proverbs 6, in Isaiah 58, uh, in Hosea, in Ezekiel, over and over again. And, of course, in the New Testament. All throughout the New Testament, it's telling you to love thy neighbor because this is a way to freedom. This is a way to liberty. You have to care about the freedom of others. And two things happen. You will develop a relationship with others where they actually start caring about your freedom. Not everybody, but some people. That's why you have to be wise in your charity. Will start caring about you as much as they care about themselves. And now it's not just you. It's them and you. And you're bound by an invisible bond of caring and honor. You know, people who aren't honorable, uh, you know, there's somebody who uh, walked away with some of my uh, uh, cement form stakes. They they loaded them up in their truck and they took them. And they belong to me. And he knows they belong to me. And I'm waiting for him to realize. I'm thinking his hired man may have thrown them in his truck. I'm waiting for him to bring them back. He comes down here once in a while. Let's see if he brings him back. That will tell me something about him. Now, he's an old guy. He may. But if he brings them back and his sons come to this valley someday, I will remember his sons because he brought them back. If he doesn't bring them back, that will tell me something too. Everything I do is a test. The reason you're here is you're being tested. The reason the mark of the beast and the wrath of God are coming upon the people of the earth is to be tested. Not tormented, tested. The word is tested. They translate it tormented, and it will seem like torment to those who do not pass the test, but it is tested. So, back to the uh, quote, my son, that I be a surety uh, for debt. Thou art snared, and do this now, son. Deliver thyself. Now, not with your own power, but there's something you have to do that will deliver you. Thou art come into the hand of a friend. Go humble thyself and make sure thy friend be friends with the unrighteous man. Pay the tax you owe. Now, there are ways to legally avoid taxes you don't want to evade taxes but there are ways to avoid taxes where your tax burden will be less 
and it will benefit you to make it last. There's all kinds of ways to do that, and uh, and that's not really my forte, but we'll, we talk about it at preparing you and other places like that. Uh, and there's lots of people on the Internet and, and radio shows that talk about how to lower your taxes honestly, and that's great. That's good. That's good financial sense. But now, how to break the bands which has bound you? Well, he's uh, he's setting the scene still here. In verse four, give not sleep to thine eyes, nor slumber to thine eyelids. In other words, you're gonna have to do a little overtime here, and you're gonna have to open up your eyes can't close your eyes. You've got to open your eyes and see, like Patrick Henry said, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And you have to provide for the truth. Provide for the truth. You have to see the truth about yourself, about others. And the fact is, and this goes back to the humble thyself, you're going to have to admit you screwed up, that you were wrong. Your perceptions are incorrect. You're going to have to start thinking a different way. That's called repentance. That's what they're talking about here. We're surety because we were proud. We thought about ourselves more than the people that the benefactors who exercise authority were going to take from, and it got us into this mess. Now we're going to have to humble ourselves and see that was the wrong way to go, the wrong way for our parents, and we're going to have to go the other way. It's still going to take a miracle, but by going the other way, you become the prodigal son coming back to the father. And it says, give not sleep to thine eyes. Going to have to put some energy in that direction. Deliver thyself as the road, like the prodigal son who came back. From the hand of the hunter, it says. The roe is like a deer. From the hand of the hunter. And who is the mighty hunter Nimrod? What is the mighty hunter before the Lord mean it's the mighty provider instead of the Lord. They say hunter because he's hunting your soul by offering you gifts, gratuities, and benefits. They also says, as a bird from the hand of the fowler. You know, when you go read about the one person Proverbs, you know, consent not, it says. What? Strike hands not. See, that's striking hands, that's consent. He's talking about the same thing. Because uh, the one purse, he says, is the net not spread before the bird? And yet the bird is still captured in the net. You're making the net by creating these socialist systems of benefactors who exercise authority. You should be creating a system of benefactors who do not exercise authority. Well, how do you do that? Faith, open charity. That simple. You're not living by faith, hope, and charity if you're dependent upon the governments that exercise authority for the benefits of your society. You're not saved, and God's not even going to hear your voice, and that's not a popular message. You want to be think you can save yourself by what you think. But it doesn't say, think this now is my son. It says, do this now, my son. Jesus doesn't say what you say saves you. He says it's what you do, not what you say. So if anybody's telling you it's what you say 
that's Satan. That is a satanic gospel. It's not what you say. It's what you do. You don't earn it. You can't do enough to earn it. You got nothing to earn it with. You got nothing God wants. He wants you to love, and if he sees you coming back to be a servant, like the prodigal son, he'll run out and meet you. But you got to be on your way back. You got to turn around. You got to start thinking a different way. Stop thinking you could save yourself by what you say or what you think. It's not what you say and what you think. It's about repentance, and repentance will make you by faith. That's what faith does. Faith makes you become a doer of the word. You can't help yourself anymore because you think a different way. You have to act a different way. And if you're not trying to create a system that's an alternative that takes care of the needy of your society through faith, hope, and charity, you're not seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's it. If you're seeking to be saved, you're not seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In order to be seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you have to be seeking to save others. <laughs> it's simple. Nobody ever took you there before. Your preachers aren't taking you there. They're saying, come to church, tie it to me. If you need anything, go to the government. That's satanic. That's antichrist. Deliver thyself as the roe. Get up on your feet from the hand of the hunter as the bird from the hand of the fowler. Verse 6. Go to the ant. Thou sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Which having no guide, overseer, or ruler. Now, we can look at those words separately, overseer, because we use the word overseer all the time. And you're going to say, well, you guys have overseers, and it says in the Bible, no guide, no overseer. And, you know, he's saying, go to the ant, thou sluggard. We are always talking about self-motivation. What's driving you? It should be the Holy Spirit. We, we, Jesus talks about blind guides, then there must be guides that see. So there are guides, but we don't want to rule over you. That's absolutely clear in our definition of overseer. Because this word overseer is not the same word that we see in the New Testament that is translated both overseer and bishop. So we should not mix the two, because they may not be the same word. As a matter of fact, though in the Hebrew, the word overseer that we see here is only translated overseer one time in the whole Bible. It appears 25 times. It's only translated overseer one time, and that's in this verse. Normally, it's translated officers. Yeah, different word. Not overseer, but officers. And it's actually one time it's translated ruler, but you couldn't translate it ruler because you have the other word in there for ruler, and that would create confusion. And we can't have, you know, we wouldn't want to say having no rulers and no rulers. <laughs> it's 
so they say overseer. But really what that should be there, and I don't know why they decided to make it overseer, but they made it uh, overseer instead of officers. And and if you if you look at the words, like the word ruler there is mashal, you know, like marshal. <laughs> it has a shim in it. It has a lamad in it. Lamad has to do with hand, a hand, and uh, a shim, and uh, a mem on the end. That's what a ruler is. But if we if we look at the word. Uh, uh, let's see where is overseer. That's uh, it's like the word sater. It's shim. Um, I think it's it, it uh, resh. Resh has to do usually with a ruler. Uh, sater. That's like a dictator. And like I say, twenty-three times it's translated officer and means official officer. So it's not the overseer that we see in the New Testament. It's a different word. And even the word that we see there as guide, uh, it is actually a word that is normally translated ruler. So they didn't, they weren't going to put in there having no ruler, comma, ruler, comma, or ruler. <laughs> All those words are normally translated Words like ruler or officer, they should have put the word officer, but for some reason they didn't. I don't know why. That's King James. Uh, uh, the word that we see at the beginning, guide, it's only translated guide one time, appears 12 times in the Bible. This, and the only time it appears as guide is in this verse. Normally it's translated ruler or prince. Prince four times, ruler four times. It's also translated captain three times. So you could have said the ant with no captain, no officers, nor rulers. <laughs> that would have been clear. Guide really doesn't fit with ruler. These are all arche words, ruler words, authoritarian words. Anyway, so this ant has no Rulers, captains, officers, or rulers, and provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou arise out of thy sleep? Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one traveleth, and thy want as an armed man. Uh, now, it goes on for there in verse 12, but let's, let's take a look at that. Used to be in this country we had six years to seven years supply of grain in bins on private farms stored up for... American use in time of need uh, for the whole country. We don't have that anymore. Worldwide, we have maybe a month's supply of grain. If there really is climate change coming, whether it's going to be colder or hotter, I, I think it's actually going to get a little colder. 
uh, it'll get hotter for a little bit, and then it'll get really cold. Uh, nature's it, is got a pendulum that it swings back and forth. Right now, we're we're entering a very active period. All the signs are there that we will enter a very active period, and crops are going to fail worldwide. Crops are going to fail. Just if you listen to the climate change guarantee gurus. Uh, Crops are going to fail. So wouldn't the world, if your leaders, your captains, <laughs> you know, your your chiefs and your uh, officers really loved you, they would be taking surplus funds and buying up grain to store in silos, building silos, vast building network of silos throughout the United States to build up a surplus to prepare for global climate change and failed crops. They're not doing that. Why? Because your captains, officers, and rulers are not there because of love. They're there because of power. You wanted power over your neighbors. They want power over you. Everybody wants power, 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 power. Well, our strong leader is going to fix everything. But they don't love you. And the real power is in love. This is why you have to repent and start thinking a different way. You have to start caring about others as much as you care about yourself. Caring about others' rights as much as you care about your own. There's the secret. Secret, secret, secret. We'll be back and talk more about this when we return. Keys of the Kingdom. Um, so what's the solution? Well, the solution is really simple. If you remember the ant, he's a busy, busy, busy guy. Has no rulers, no one who exercises authority. They do have guide ants, uh, ants that lay down trails. They have uh, scouts that go out ahead and find where they go, and they lay down trails, uh, and they help one another. They work together all the time. It's amazing to watch those ants. But you've got to remember this is a metaphor. They don't have, we don't have a queen. <laughs> we have a king and he's in heaven. Um, and we're operating in a much different fashion than, than the way the world goes. Again, when we say the world, when Jesus says my kingdom's not of this world, everybody thinks, oh, that's, uh, we're supposed, it's postponed and we're going to wait and he's going to come back and, and on and on like this. And the reality is, is that his kingdom was here for a thousand years. After the fall of Jerusalem, his kingdom was all over Europe. You could find remains of it. They keep you in the dark about that. And that's why they call it the Dark Ages. Just just in the last, uh, well, probably the last 50 years, but uh, more so in the last 10, 20 years, more and more people are examining the Dark Ages and discovering that they weren't all that dark. It's just we didn't know about it. The, the books they wrote and the information they put down and the history that they lived was burned up by one of those A churches. You know, there's A church and there's this church and there's that church and there's his church. Now, when we refer to ourselves as his holy church, that's a phrase. It's something we're striving to do. We're not, 
we didn't incorporate his holy church. We're, we're not the controllers of his holy church. The Holy Spirit is. His holy church is, you know, there are certain things we look for to see if you're a part of his holy church. Do you gather together? You know, we have a, a congregations, not very big uh, group of congregations, pretty small. We're a pretty small little group. Uh, somebody just accused us of being a cult on Facebook. They, they don't even probably know what the meaning of the word cult is, but uh, or where it came from anyway. But the reality is we're the farthest thing from a cult you can imagine. We don't control anybody. Uh, we have congregations, and people are hesitant about becoming participants in our congregations, yet we spell out that our congregations are free assemblies. Uh, people were at, at the Burning Bush Festival. There were some people that been around. They haven't been really listening or paying attention to what we're doing. Uh, their husband has kind of seen our works and, and liked it. But they were shocked to find out that we don't tell people not to go to other churches. We don't say, oh, no, you, you can't be a Jehovah Witness or you can't be a, a Seventh-day Adventist or a Catholic or any of that. We don't tell people they can't do We don't have any right to tell people they can't do these things. We're preaching the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You'll probably leave those churches or get kicked out, more likely, if you continue following the ways of Christ. But that's your individual journey. We don't have a right to dictate that to you. You may be the only one bringing the Holy Spirit into that church, gathering, that, that place. Uh, now, if you want to be a minister of his holy church, an ordained minister of his holy church, that's that's different than just being a regular minister, but an ordained minister, meaning the full qualifications of Christ. Yeah, you, you won't be members of these other churches. You can still go into them. But you won't be members. You're not even members of our congregation. We don't like to use the word member usually because all our congregations are free assemblies. We have a little paper that people fill out when they say they want to participate in a congregation. And that paper, is, it's, a, it's a declaration paper. And it's not declaring that they're a member. <laughs> it's declaring that they see this one individual – that they're gathering with, the minister of that group, they see him as a minister of Christ. It's just a testimonial page. And they're not declaring themselves to be anything. They're declaring somebody else to be a minister in their eyes. Now, they can undo that anytime with another document just like it and say, I don't think he's a minister anymore. And we'll put that in the file. And... It's just a record-keeping of your testimony. The purpose of that document is to provide underwear for the minister. Now, what the heck am I talking about underwear? If you read about the Levites, the people were to sew the breeches of the Levites because they were naked. Do you think that really had anything to do with making their underwear? Now they might have actually made linen underwear for the for the Levites uh, as a tradition, but the purpose of the statement wasn't so that they would get underwear made out of linen cloth. It was to give them covering because they were naked. These are metaphors again. In the Hebrew language, these are metaphors. Naked meant without authority. They're not one of those rulers, chiefs, officers, or rulers that you find in all the other governments. 
This is a government that is a voluntary government operating by faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of love, uh, love and liberty. This is the kingdom of God, passed from generation to generation. The kingdom of God is from generation to generation. If you are entirely dependent upon a network of charity instead of the benefactors exercise authority, you're going to have the blessings of God. If you want to play both sides of the fence, you're straddling a very dangerous area. We can't tell you to be in one system or the other. We can tell you that we're seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We're seeking a system that is based on faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. We're seeking a system that is a voluntary system. And we hope that you seek it too. But it's up to you to become a part of a congregation to be recognized by the whole network, you need to give underwear to your minister, covering. I have absolutely no right to be your minister unless you say so. You have to tell me you want me to be your minister. And you do it, if you do it in writing, I have evidence to give to the world that these people say I am a minister. Now, the critical thing, am I a minister of Christ? Well, in their opinion, I am. In the world's opinion, they have to contradict that. If you have freedom of religion, you get to say that I'm your minister. Or Joe Schmo is your minister, whoever you pick. I am not available for congregants to pick me as a minister. I am a minister of ministers. I'm one of those overseers. Not the overseer you see in in uh, Proverbs 6, I'm not one of those overseers. I'm not a ruler because I can't exercise authority one over the other. But I can serve. I can serve ministers so I can be an overseer in that way. Why do they set up this network? It's because famine was coming to Rome. Economic breakdown was coming to Rome. Dearths were coming to Rome. I just recently put up a webpage to explain what a dearth is. Famine was coming to the world. The world meaning constitutional order or system of government. That's that's the way it's defined in the concordance. I I didn't make it up. People say, you always read the words. No, I actually look them up and I show you what it says. That's what it says. That's the definition of the world that his kingdom is not a part of. It's the constitutional order and system of government of Pontius Pilate, because that's who he said it to. He had been telling everybody else his kingdom of heaven was at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is within your reach. I'm going to take the kingdom away from the Pharisees. I'm going to appoint it to the apostles. The Jews are not... Uh, the, the the chosen people. It's the people that follow Christ that are the chosen people. It's not a bloodline. It's a faith line. The church is Israel. <laughs> That's what Israel is. Now, I know a lot of people are going to not like that. But you tell me, he said, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you. They said, and most of those were probably not real Jews anyway. They're probably Edomites. But there were probably some Jews in there, uh, Hebrews, whatever you want to call them, descendants of Abraham. Uh, 
But they said, they said, we have no king but Caesar. They're out. They left the kingdom. They're gone. They're out of here. Most of the Jews today really have no king but their government. They go to them for the benefits, whether they're in you know, England or uh, United States or Canada or whatever, or Israel. Israel, I can't believe that people think Israel is, you know, some sort of part of prophecy. They're breaking every single rule that Moses laid down, even the guys with the locks, most of them are. Now, there are some people there that are probably not. I don't know everybody in Israel, but as a nation, as a government, as a member of the United Nations, they have a heavy progressive income tax, they have a draft, they have all these things that Israel was forbidden to have that are considered a rejection of God in the Old Testament. They violate all five precepts of Deuteronomy in, in forming a government. And somehow you think they're Israel. <laughs> Sorry. No, not. Not happening. <laughs> not the case. They're just... I'm not against them. They're just people like anybody else. I mean... The fact is, is Israel as a government is a lot of times more honest and fair than some of the Arab countries that are around them, more just, a lot more kingdom tracks you'll find amongst those people than you'll find in other places. And so, I mean, they have no monopoly on good people, but they're certainly not the chosen people of faith because they're not doing anything that Moses or God said, almost. I mean, some are, but as a, as a matter of policy, no, they're not there. United States used to be close to that. America and the republics, uh, individual states, used to be close and following close in the ways of Christ, but they've gotten farther and farther away from it, just like Rome. Got far, far. Rome was a republic. Israel was a republic. But today, we're not a republic. We're a democracy within a republic. The United States is, and the same with Australia, Canada. I'm not just preaching to the United States. I just happen to be sitting here in the United States, and so that I'm more familiar with the goings-on in that government than others. But the Bible is about good government, and the people control the way the government, even without the vote, the people control the way the government will go. Czechoslovakia didn't have a vote, but when the Soviets marched in, Nobody cared. <laughs> Originally, way back in the 60s, I think it was. Um, they just went about business as usual. Now, since then, they got they went crazy a bit and killed lots and lots and lots of people. But uh, uh, the people are in a lot more control than they realize. But right now, the people's hearts are turned away from God. They're not following the ways of God. They are asleep in the ways of God. They are not coming together in Christ's name, which is, what is his name? People say, oh, it's Yeshua. It's the, no, his name is who he is. He is one who cometh to serve. You want to gather together in congregations, that want to serve one another in faith, hope, and charity and take care of one another when there's real need. And again, sometimes that care is to give money. 
Sometimes that care is to give food. Sometimes it's uh, to to give clothing. It says, you know, if you have two coats, give, and your neighbor has none, share. Do the same in meats and food. Rightly divide the bread from house to house. And if you start doing that, God will open your eyes and your eyelids will not go closed. And you will begin to see the dangers that are coming upon us. And you will, like the prodigal son, begin to take action to go back to your father's house and operate according to your father's ways. And then he will open up ways in which you will receive food to sustain you and your family. But I'm not going to tell you those ways. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit tell you. And the Holy Spirit is only going to come unto you if you start coming unto the Lord. Start coming together in the name of the Lord. You come to church, which is a gathering of people, living souls, in order to help others, not save yourself. Saving yourself is a byproduct of trying to save others because it's an act of faith. It's casting your bread upon the waters. This, these precepts are repeated over and over and over again in the New Testament and in the Old Testament. And yet, there you are, praying to men, conscripted fathers of the earth, to obtain benefits at the expense of your neighbor. And you tell me you're a Christian. You're a modern Christian, not a real Christian, not an early Christian. You've gone the wrong way. And it's time to repent and turn around and go the other way. That's just the way it is. And you have to decide to do that. Now, I said I was going to talk about militia, and I, I'm running out of time. We have a page at Preparing You that talks about the militia, well-regulated militia being necessary for the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Well, of course, that's an amendment, too, of the Second Amendment. Uh, has most recently been interpreted to grant the right of gun ownership to individuals for the purpose that includes self-defense. At first, it was thought to apply to the federal government, but through the mechanism of the 14th Amendment, it has been applied to the states as well. No, that is absolutely absurd. For one thing, the first time the federal government tried to draft people into a militia, they failed. Even in 1812, they failed. They, they had no power to create a militia. A militia isn't created by the federal government. They're not talking about the federal government, and they weren't granting a right. They were barring the government from infringing upon a right. Now I'm going to read another quote to you. It's a quote. It's on that page, same page on, on militia preparing you. Uh, and I'll read it if I can find it. Okay, here we go. This is from John F. Kennedy, 35th President of the United States. So it's not me. This is January 1961. Uh, and he was assassinated, uh, I think, what, November 1963. Um, he said, today we need a nation of Minutemen, citizens who are not only prepared to take arms, but citizens who regard the preservation of freedom 
as the basic purpose of their daily life and who are willing to consciously work and sacrifice for that freedom, not just for themselves, but for others. You see, that's absolutely essential. Now, that doesn't require the federal government. That requires individuals sacrificing for the good of others. And it's not just about taking up arms. And the altars of Abraham were not about taking up arms. They were about caring for one another, sacrificing for one another. Sacrifice, isn't that a biblical word? Free will offering, sacrifice, Corbin, all sacrifices. Your Corbin is the Corbin of the Pharisees, where you take from your neighbor because you take from men who call themselves benefactors who exercise authority. But anyway, we go on and we, we point out the definition of militia. And, of course, I can show you that the definition of militia changes from the point of view of the United States. So if we're looking at U.S. codes, like U.S. Code Title 10, uh, Chapter 13, uh, Section 311, it says the militia of the United States consists of all able-bodied males at least 17 years of age, uh, and then it goes on up to 45, and under the age of 45. It already consists of that. You don't have to register. You're just, if you're between 17 and 45, and you're a citizen of the United States, by statute, you're already a part of the militia. You may not be organized, but you're already a part of the militia. We're talking males. Now, if you join the military, you are not in the militia. You're not a part of the militia anymore. If you're between 17 and 45 and in the military, you're not a part of the militia. What does that tell us? The militia has nothing to do with the United States Army. It is separate. Now, they admit that in their statute. Militia has to do with everybody, able-bodied, who is willing to defend their neighbor. Well, defending your neighbor doesn't always mean you have to take up a gun. You're defending your neighbor from starvation. You may take up a loaf of bread. <laughs> and that's what that's what uh, John F. Kennedy was talking about. If your neighbor is being abused by the courts, you go down to the courts. If your neighbor is being abused by your neighbor, you go over with him with to your neighbor and you say, why are you abusing so-and-so? Why are you stealing his stuff? Why are you taking his stuff? The truth is, is it, I also put on that page just recently, actually this morning, uh, Bob Basso's uh, uh, imitation of Thomas Paine. That's the imitation. He's an actor. He was paid. I mean, he went to the White House, got awards for the president, everything because of his uh, Tea Party video. And we have that video there on the website now, and so you can play it. Uh, and it is it, it is the most amazing. Uh, yeah, I hear people. I, I heard people talk about this was great and everything, and I had to go listen to it. And I listened to it, and I thought, oh my gosh, you guys even pay attention to what this guy is saying. This is a perfect example of bait and switch. He gets you all worked up, and then he slips in the singer. <laughs> right in the, but I'll let you go watch the uh, the, the video, uh, and then you can watch the video that's underneath it that I entitled Not My Tea Party, and it will explain it. We explain it there on the page. We have a link so that you understand. But he talks about universal service. 
bringing back, he says, universal service. And I point out that we haven't had universal service since we were in bondage in Egypt. <laughs> what is universal service? Why are you even talking about universal service? It's just absolutely insane. And uh, and I explain why. I'll let you listen to the video. It's only a few minutes long. And uh, I should see how many people on the radio show that go to our militia page. Just go to Preparing You, look up militia, and go to the page. And uh, we'll see how many uh, people come and visit that page and read about it. But the truth is, universal service is already here. They just want to consolidate it more. If you have a Social Security number, you're a part of the universal service. I mean, if you're working at McDonald's and you're flipping hamburgers, uh, 20% of the hamburgers you flip that day, you flip them for the U.S. government because the money that you would have earned is going to go to them. You know, 14% at least goes just for Social Security. And then the rest will go. And then, of course, there's all kinds of other taxes, property tax, which you're paying even if you're renting, and and sales tax in many states, and state tax, and on and on and on, employment tax, uh, unemployment tax, that's a tax. Uh, they had unemployment tax in Rome. The similarities are unbelievable. After you, you go to that page, you go to our page on Rome. Uh, Rome versus us, uh, the Roman Imperial Court, uh, cult, uh, how all these things work. Understand how the system works, then also understand how the system of God works. Because we could say uh, the system of God is at hand. The system of God is not of this world. We can say system instead of kingdom. We could say government instead of kingdom. The government of God is at hand. The government of God is not of this constitutional order or system of government. It's separate. It operates separately. Now, how does the church get separate? A lot of different ways. Can we get every congregant separate? No. But we can prepare you to become separate. Because the unrighteous mammon is going to fail. Guaranteed. Nimrod is not going to be a mighty provider instead of the Lord. He's going to fail you. The FEMA of the world is going to fail. The FEMA of the of God will succeed. If you want to know what that is, go look that up by preparing you too. Until then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.